1: Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade. And thanks, everyone, for joining us again for this Baseball America College Podcast. Back again by No One's Demand, I'm John Manuel. Back by Popular Demand are Ted Cahill and Mike Lanana. And of course, our college baseball coverage and our podcast are sponsored by Louisville Slugger. Power and numbers. Check them out at Slugger Nation. On social media, guys, uh, not a lot of change. And in fact, the first week, all season, we didn't drop a team from our Baseball America Top 25 rankings. We certainly thought about it toward the back. We'll talk about some of the fallers later in the podcast, but it's definitely steady as she goes at the top. We've got Oregon State. This is what, the 10th straight week the Beavers have been number one in our rankings? I believe that's correct. And then we have Louisville, which owns the two longest winning streaks after Oregon State's and Louisville currently on the nation's longest win streak with 15 games in a row for the Cardinals at one and two. Uh, and North Carolina holds steady at three. The guys at—Teddy, you can take this first. It feels like there's one and two, and then there's a decent-sized gap, and that's no disrespect to North Carolina, but it really feels like Oregon State and Louisville have separated themselves from the crowd and both with uh, big-time sweeps this weekend. Oregon State of rival Oregon and Louisville on the road at Clemson.
2: Yeah, I uh, when, when you first said that, you know, I thought, you know, I, I still think Carolina's there, and you know, Texas Tech isn't that far off either. You know, they're they're both really solid. But the more I've thought about this, the more I think that yes, Louisville and Oregon State have separated. Like, I can't find um, flaws with either of those teams. Like, there there are, there are no holes there. Like, those are complete teams, top to bottom. They've got the bullpen, they've got the starters, they've got the offense, they've got the defense. And you know you can nitpick and find some some stuff with Carolina that's not great, and Texas Tech is still a little banged up at full strength. Texas Tech has very few holes, but you know they got to get back to full strength before you know they're they're there so yeah, I, I think it's fair that. Um, Louisville and Oregon State have separated, and their records show it. You know, they're sitting on 40-plus wins with single-digit losses for both of them.
1: Their records are insane. They're 87-10 and combined.
2: (laughs) It's really really nuts. And, you know, Oregon State's already won the Pac-12. They wrapped that up on Friday. Louisville's uh, won their division and has a two-game lead on North Carolina for the overall ACC championship, which they should wrap up this weekend. And if they are able to do that... Um, you know, then they would have won the league uh, two times in their first three years since joining. I, I am astounded by this. I, I looked this up yesterday. They absolutely run the run they're the ACC. ACC since joining the league. They're seventy and seventeen. Miami has fifty six wins in that span. Virginia has fifty. No one else has won even fifty games. And Louisville's sitting out there at seventy and seventeen in the last three years in this conference. It's absurd, and I mean the, those two teams are rolling right now. Um, you know, and, and they are clearly, I think, the the one and two teams in the country.
1: Mike, you've seen Oregon State, you've seen Louisville. Uh, you just saw Louisville most recently this weekend. Mm-hmm. Which team impressed you most in person? And then uh, we can you know segue that a little bit into Louisville, kind of how that. How that series was
0: swept right Uh, of those two teams I mean Oregon State was the one that's impressed me more I would say I haven't seen them in person and our our, obviously our rankings reflect that with them at number one just just watching how dynamic they are and you know just watching Madrigal and Grenier up up the middle alone is is an exciting experience just to watch those two what they're able to do and then
1: that feels like the first separator with that team yeah no offense to anyone else's middle infield
0: they're so strong up the middle, and Adley Rushman's been great this year as, as a freshman catcher for And them. he's starting to hit now, too. Yeah, because yeah. he was
1: hitting under 200 for a while. That's not the case anymore. It seems like his Pac-12 play has gone on, Adley Rushman has picked things up. I just still love the fact that he kicked a 63-yard field goal in high school. I mean, he, he was kind of a big deal <laughs> that way. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, he still far. kicks. Yeah,
0: he's, he's right. really, really good. But that's that's real. Yeah. Sixty-three yards is far. Oh, yeah. uh, it's further than I could kick it for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just the the depth on Oregon State. I mean, it's kind of similar to, to me to what Louisville was last year just in terms of th- there's so many different layers to that team and a, lots of, a lot of different configurations that they can go with from a position player standpoint and then you look at that pitching staff you add Drew Rasmussen back into that mix and right. he, he started this weekend made his first start since last year they already have Luke Heimlich who has a microscopic ERA and has been you know so great for them this year Jake Thompson Probably, not probably, he's the best Sunday starter in the country in terms of his stats and in terms of his stuff and what he's done this year. Brady Sinner says what's up. (laughs) Well, I... uh, Sorry, Jackson Coar says what's up. Yeah, well, Jake Thompson's been really, really, His stats are definitely better. Yeah. Those are two good ones. His stats are better. Um, But, yeah, so for me, Oregon State, I, I just, I didn't see any holes with them whatsoever. Louisville, obviously, they have the best player in the country in Brendan McKay, although he struggled a little bit this weekend, at least from a stuff standpoint on the mound. He still got the results. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Louisville, they're not, obviously they're not as deep as they were a year ago. Last year they were more complete, but, you know, you take away some of that depth and you still have a really strong core with them. You still have a really potent middle of the order, the way Drew Ellis has been hitting. He was continued to rake this weekend. Colby Fish hit three home runs. Um, three Colby Jacks. <laughs> that's,
1: uh, a good, that's a good nickname. Yeah. We'll allow it.
0: You know, it, it, it's definitely, uh, they're a fun team to watch as well, a well-coached team. That staff does an excellent job of just player development in general. So, you know, and obviously to go to Clemson and sweep Clemson on the road is, is no easy feat, um, especially in that ballpark and that atmosphere. It's a great atmosphere all weekend. So, certainly those two teams have separated themselves, but I don't think, uh, kind of what Teddy was saying, I don't think... You know, that teams like Carolina and Texas Tech and all that are super, super far. There's separation, though. Uh, there, there's no doubt there. But I I could see, you know, any of those teams contending for a title near is, the end of the year.
2: Is Louisville actually not as deep as they were last year? I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I don't see an area of the team that isn't where it was last year. I mean, there may be individual players. Like, Corey Ray's replacement is not Corey Ray in the outfield, obviously. But, I, you know, I see... Just as strong of a pitching staff. I see an incredibly deep lineup. They go one to nine, just like they did last year. Um,
1: I don't know. I mean, they may. They may not the, the top. I feel like the top of their team isn't quite as electric as it was last year, but it does feel like.
0: I don't think, think it's like have... a stark difference. I, I just, I just do think last year. I mean, all these players that are starring this year were role players last year, and well, not all of them, but some of them are. But
2: and. I mean, like, I, there is no Corey Ray. Like, I get that, but like Tyler Fitzgerald is essentially a role player on this team and he's going to be a star next year and doesn't like that's how they do it right I mean like that was Devin yeah. Mann a year ago and you know Drew Ellis stepped into a larger role this year after Blake Tiberi left and you know Colby Fitch has you know he's not going to go where Will Smith went in the draft but he's taken on the everyday catcher role just fine like I I don't see an appreciable difference in the depth. Maybe we haven't seen some of these players as much as we saw last year's uh, depth because Devin Mann had to play second base a little bit more when Solak got hurt and and stuff like that. But I I think it's still there at
1: the same level. And the thing is, like you look at last year's team just from the numbers, is how you guys have seen them more. They're a little bit. They were a little deeper last year in the lineup. They had like seven guys. Like you, several times they'd roll out nine guys who hit 300 last year. They don't do that this year. They have three three hundred hitters and then there's power and there's other there's other offensive players who are uh, who contribute but this lineup is pretty much like you know Ellis and McKay are way up here and this is the podcast you can't see but I'm reaching <laughs> my hand really high yeah um so those two guys are here and the rest of it is role players but this is definitely like Devin Harrison's a good third wheel but those two guys McKay and Ellis drive the train offensively for them and again on the mound. McKay at the start, Hensmith at the back. They do have other good pieces, but last year you kind of had that one-two punch a little bit more um, with Funkhauser and McKay. If, at least it and, felt like And, and the Harrington. ACC Pitcher of
0: the Year, Harrington. Yeah, Harrington. There was a
1: little bit more definition. Like, Cade McClure I know is good, but he's not going to be the ACC Pitcher of the Year like Harrington might but, not be last and,
0: year. And, I mean, the thing is Cade is McClure, you know, he was their midweek starter last right. year going 12-0. and I mean, I, it just... They they I just felt like last year was like an embarrassment of riches, and this year is more just like a very 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 deep team. I the thing is,
1: this is a good, this is a very deep, this is a deep team. Last deep year's team. was kind of
0: absurd. Yeah, <laughs> really. last year. That's the bigger it's, question. It's that's more, really the only the only way we're disagreeing. Yeah, I think Teddy that, just how that's more the reflection. Last year year's just like insanely deep. <laughs> My
2: people who have listened to this podcast for more than a year now will remember that I was not as high on Louisville ever last year as you guys were. So maybe this is just a continuation of me not. Seeing yeah. Louisville last year's
1: team at the same level that you guys did—that's possible. They were really, to be offensively, really stinking good last year. I mean, again, Blake Taverry hitting ten home runs, uh you know, I just kind of like on the side, Danny Rosenbaum is kind of like, oh, by the way, their first <laughs> baseman also has ten home runs, and he had seven. He's a mistake hitter, but if you, miss, if you screw up, he'll. You hold park one, so I feel like that entire
0: starting lineup could have gotten hurt last year, and they have another starting lineup ready
1: but, to go. But the thing is, like to me, is the player development aspect that you mentioned. Uh, that to me is the big key for them. Like, Colin Lyman is a useful offensive player now. He's not an out. He's not. He's not going to burn you necessarily. But you don't. I wouldn't put him on base because he could steal a bag. He's a really good defender. Logan Taylor was kind of you know. That extra guy again, not a home run guy, but he's got 20 steals this year. He's efficient. He gets on base.
0: Yeah,
1: it just feels like they do really a uh, tremendous. I mean, Colby Fitching was a part time guy last year. Now he's the primary catcher. Sure, he's not as athletic as Will Smith, but he's got real power. Three home runs you said this weekend. Mm-hmm. And again, Ellis is a great advantage of the, a Gary example of this. A like red shirt, a guy who hit 11 home runs last summer with uh, the Northwoods League, but hit two twenty five. Now this guy's really. He's hitting his way up the draft lists pretty high. So that, to me, is what stands out about Louisville. They, uh, they're they very much in this Virginia vein of – Virginia goes to the Northeast. They go to the Upper Midwest with Louisville. They get the Chicago kids, the Illinois, Ohio's. They get these athletic, multi-sport baseball players, plus some of the top just baseball-only guys. And they meld them into – and they shape them into baseball players. They're, it feels like, again, the, the player development aspect at Louisville – is really to be commended, and uh, it's athletic, it's versatility. Um, but I, I'm just stunned at, at how they've they've hit their peak as a program while going into this tougher league. That's not usually how it works. It usually takes programs a little bit to ramp up. To I know it sounds like we're dissing the American by saying this. The American conference is a very difficult league, but they they won the Big East last year. They're in the Big East. They won the American the one year they were there. Went to the ATC and went 26 and 4 in their first year there, and they've just kept it up, which is really hard to do.
2: I think what's interesting about these two teams being the top two teams is that their primary pipeline of talent is not what we would consider talent rich areas. Oregon State lives in the Mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest. Like they will dip down and and go and get kids. You know, Madrigals from California, Greniers from uh, Vegas, baby. And uh, KJ Harrison's (laughs) from Hawaii, but a lot, primarily, they're Pacific Northwest kids. And Louisville can dip down some, uh, and they will do it, but primarily they're living in Kentucky and Ohio and Indiana and Pennsylvania and, Sh- yeah. Pennsylvania and yeah. Illinois. And, um, you know, they're finding the best players there. They're doing a great job at, ide- both teams are doing a great job at identifying the talent there. And I know both, both sets of coaches think that the talent they're bringing in is high-level, you know, just as high level as, as what some of the more talent-rich states are producing. But they are also developing it. Uh, you know, It's it it's a recruiting effort from Nate Yeski at Oregon State and Eric Snyder at Louisville, but it yeah. is also development for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I think those two um, – well, that's how you get to be number one and number two. Um, the, the, the movers in this week's rankings, uh, guys, let's talk about those teams a little bit. Since we were, we're talking about how it was kind of static at the top. Uh, the biggest mover this weekend was uh, LSU. Uh, I'm using their proper first name. They'll be very excited about that. Um, but LSU, we, we've basically been talking about this kind of the SEC. We've got the the, to, the top two teams in the East have pretty consistently for the whole season been Kentucky and Florida. Those are the we have those are these top two ranked teams from that league. The West has been we're basically been riding the hot hand in the rankings. This week that hot hand is LSU. They sweep Auburn. Auburn, we'll talk about later how they've they've kind of fallen off a bit. They're down at 25. They're almost really on the bubble. Honestly, let's talk about Auburn for a second, guys. <laughs> uh, is, is Auburn a an NCAA tournament team right now? Because this is not a great RPI team. And 32 and 21, they're barely hanging into the rankings, really because they were six a couple weeks ago. Um, fourth a couple weeks fourth ago. Fourth a couple weeks ago. I mean, like, what do you do with a problem like Auburn that has a worse RPI right now than Tennessee? So, Auburn... Is it
2: 14 and 13 in the league still? They win one game this weekend and they get to 15 and 15, and their RPI is still going to be hanging around in the 40s minimally.
1: So, 5C team gets in pretty much. That's a tournament
2: team. 15 and 15 in the SEC with a decent enough RPI, that team is in. Um, Now, if they get swept this weekend again and then go to Hoover and continue to play poorly, then it becomes much more complicated for them. Um, but the you know the back half of the SEC, we've had up to 10 teams at times in, from the SEC in the field. And there are some teams trying to play their way out of it right now. Auburn's obviously moving in the wrong direction. Ole Miss is moving in the right direction, but I, they're still not bubble safe yet. And South Carolina, by far, is moving in the wrong direction. They lost another series. Uh, and yet they still have a... Pretty reasonable chance. They just win a series this weekend. They go to 14 and 16. Not even sweep. Just win a series. You're 14 and 16 in the SEC. Their RPI is still
1: 30. That might be good enough. Um, so that, I was about to ask about South Carolina because to me, that's that's a real question. Their body of work is... It's not in. good.
0: It's they've, they've lost now seven straight SEC series. I mean, you say all they have to do is win a series. They haven't done it in seven weeks. Oh, so. it's going to be difficult, <laughs> no doubt about it. And Georgia's I, yeah. playing well. <laughs> Georgia
2: is coming. They're playing Georgia at home this weekend, and Georgia's coming off of series wins against uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky. So George, this is the wrong time to be playing Georgia, and Georgia's going to be motivated this weekend because they're trying to make the SEC tournament, and they need to win to do that. And you know, so they're it's not they're not going to roll over for South Carolina, and you know South Carolina is having a lot of struggles right now. But the point is not that they should be in or not, anything, but, but the point shot. is they are as bad as they've been playing with the seven straight SEC losses. They're
1: still in the mix. I guess the other thing is that neither Auburn nor South Carolina is definitely in, and like you said, Auburn's trending in the wrong direction. That 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 series sweep at home to Alabama. That's just destroyed yeah. their RPI. It destroyed their RPI. It, destroyed, it may destroy their whole season yeah. if well, they can't recover. From and speaking.
2: they then on Tuesday went out and lost to UAB. Not good. Which was you know, just as bad for their RPI. It was only one game versus three, but it, that's yeah. a, n- another killer.
0: See, the thing to, the thing to me is this is kind of where the RPI is, is flawed to me because I look at South Carolina's schedule and I look at Auburn's schedule. Granted, Auburn's non-conference schedule was not the strongest. It was pretty weak. But... If you look at their resumes, to me, I no doubt would rather... I would take Auburn in that they've won series against South Carolina, against Arkansas, against Mississippi State. They swept Florida. South Carolina has nothing like that, remotely well, the, close on their schedule.
2: But that's why Auburn right now would be bubble in. And right. They're ahead of South Carolina. They, you know, they right. have the winning record in the league. South Carolina doesn't. So, I mean, yes, RPI may be flawed, and. Maybe right. they shouldn't be ahead, but the committee is not going to look at those two teams necessarily and say right. South Carolina over Auburn right now. Right,
0: and that uh, yeah, I'm just saying that's why I think RPI is not, you know, obviously the only measurement here, because South Carolina is 15 points ahead in the RPI, and their resume is significantly worse than Auburn's is.
1: I, I, and I'm curious about Vanderbilt. is the other SEC team I'm curious about. Vanderbilt and Missouri. Missouri started the year winning, what, 20 games in a row? I think it's still the second longest win streak it in the country this year. Um Missouri hasn't won a, has maybe won one series. It feels like in the they last just beat two South months, Carolina. right? That's the one. Um, but Missouri feels like it's probably bubble
2: out. It is bubble out now. Their RPI is bad. They're in the 60s. That's not good enough. They're 11 and 16 in the league. That's not good enough. Um, but they winning this weekend was critical for them. A li- it was a lifeline, kind of for them. It, it was. You know, now they go and they play at Tennessee and. Which has a good RPI at 44. And it's on the road. You win that series, you're going to be... It would very much help them to sweep. That would get them to 14 and 16. Much easier to get in with a losing record if you're at 14 and 16 versus 13 and 17. Right, But it can be done at 13 and 17. But Missouri is probably, regardless of what happens this weekend, going to go to Hoover and
1: need to win some games there to, to help their cause. The other one we talked about, we almost ranked, was Ole Miss... So Ole Miss has played this difficult schedule. They've had a very, they've gotten a lot of people's best shots in the SEC. They've played 21 games against ranked teams, the way we keep them, 10 and 11 in those games. They had to go to Arkansas, they had to go to Florida, they had to go to LSU, and they had to go to Kentucky in SEC play. That is that is a gauntlet this year of road games. They'll finish up at Auburn this weekend, but they beat A and M this weekend to bounce back from getting swept from Florida. They uh, they won their cup previous years before that. They're 500 in the league, basically 13 and 14. Feels like Teddy. This is not just. Uh, I mean, this weekend I don't feel like if they lose that series to Auburn, they're out of the running. But they're on the, this bubble, kind of, aren't they? They've been on the bubble the whole season, but no,
2: they can lose the series this weekend, win one game, and I think they're in pretty pretty solid shape. Their RPI is 32. Win one game, you're 14 and 16 in the league. Uh, you know, it has been this incredibly difficult schedule. If you go um, you know, and look at strength of schedule. They, they rank rather high in that. Um, and, you know, again, pretty generally, teams sitting around 500 in the SEC with strong RPIs get in the tournament. Um, and they are trending in, in, in the right direction. So I, I feel like they can go and, and do what they need to do this weekend. I mean, but you, the strength of schedule is 8. And, right. I mean, even if you look at non-conference strength of schedule, it's still 78, which is pretty respectable. I
1: mean, Vanderbilt's strength of schedule is one. Right, Am I reading this right, Vanderbilt has had it pretty difficult. Um, you know, that surprised me though because their non-conference included Illinois, Chicago, Cal State Northridge.
2: Well, USC is winning the Horizon League. Uh, Northridge Correct. has not lived up to it, but you know they St. played. St. Mary's two, has
1: a good RPI. Yeah, you
2: know, they played two against Southeastern Louisiana, which is in the top thirty in the RPI. You know, San Diego has a good RPI. They're not doing. They're in like fourth place in the WCC, but. You know, it's Ole Miss, it's A and M, it's Kentucky, it's Florida, it's South Carolina. That that's all in the SEC. Right. And at Arkansas, I don't know if they'll be able to hold on to that number one strength of schedule after this week uh, when they play Middle Tennessee and Alabama all at home. But it's been a hard schedule for Vanderbilt.
1: But you feel like Vanderbilt is in good, in great shape. Conference. I mean, NCAA tournament wise. I would be. Even very though it confident. feels like it's been a very mediocre season in my mind by. Vanderbilt. Absolutely. Especially. I mean,
2: they're they're 500 in the league. I mean, that is that is very mediocre, especially for them. But they play Alabama this weekend that I mean, they can't afford to lose this because as they just ask Auburn what that'll do to your RPI if you lose to Alabama at home. But assuming <laughs> right. they win the series against Alabama at home, um, you know, then they're they're going to be just fine. It,
1: it, I mean, it's, it's always a deep league. Um, so we, we, we know there are gonna be a lot of uh sec teams that get into regionals which ones are trending toward being national seeds i mean florida and kentucky as we talked about these are top eight rpis already i'm not saying these teams are secure but you know it feels like those teams are in the driver's seat mike in your mind this lsu mississippi State that's this weekend Mm -hmm. wrapping the regular season is there one national seat on the line there i mean mississippi state's rpi is not great right um do you feel like can Mississippi State knock LSU out of being a national seed? But, but I mean, obviously the conference tournament is going to come into play here. But there's right. more there's more at stake than just who wins the SEC West, right?
0: Yeah, no, there definitely is. I mean, it's a it's a huge series and really a fun way to end the regular season. You know, Got a lot of intrigue there. There there is a whole lot of intrigue there. You know, I I mean, you're right. Obviously, the SEC tournament could change that picture depending on what teams do there. But I do think it's a it's a battle for national seed just because, like you said, Mississippi State where's RPI stands right now, and if they finish second to LSU, it I you know obviously you can't really see Mississippi State getting it over LSU at this point. So. I, I do think it, it is a, a battle in a lot of ways for a national seed, barring what happens in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, I, I do feel okay about where Florida and Kentucky stand at this point, although we'll see. Um let's see, who does Kentucky have? They go to Florida speak. this year. They go weekend. to Florida, so yeah. So <laughs> we'll but, that's but another big series as even well.
1: Even a sweep there. It feels like both those it's gonna be a good series yeah. loss no matter what. If it doesn't feel like sweeps have hurt a lot of these teams RPI-wise unless you're getting swept by a bad but the, team. The
2: problem, we're Kentucky, let's just say Kentucky gets swept there because they're the more vulnerable team and Florida is unlikely to be swept at home. Um, if Kentucky were to get swept, they'd be 18-12 and 12 in the league. That would almost assuredly drop them behind LSU, at least LSU in the league standings. And it would maybe not damage their RPI at all, but... That would not be that would not be great if they don't get swept. I, they're they're a little vulnerable anyway. I feel like um, I feel like Florida's looking pretty strong for for a national seed. I don't know if Mississippi State can do it. I don't know that beating LSU this weekend is going to be good enough. Maybe a sweep would change things, but they're 25 in the RPI. Um, you know, it, it's gonna They lost head to head to or they beat Kentucky head to head. I'm sorry, but yeah. Um, feels like if they
1: win the series and then have a strong showing in the SEC tournament, but they're going, to,
2: they going to need to go to Hoover and do something. LSU might be able to wrap it this weekend. I could see that happening. Um, but I, I do think Mississippi State, it's going to take something in Hoover to, to put them over the top. But
1: right now um, – But that's pretty great, I mean, this how it happens, oh, SEC yeah. schedule making – the top two teams in the West, and the top two teams in the East, match up on the season's final regular. Absolutely, I mean we get season. de
2: facto division championship series. I mean that's that's fantastic, and um, you know all four of those teams could win the SEC title. Don't look now,
1: but JJ Schwartz is actually hitting, and I think I've been like the king of the JJ Schwartz bashers for the last year or so. <laughs> um, but that guy's hitting, and in SEC play, he's got six home runs down 25 games. He's hitting over 300. Strikeouts are still there. Defense still really isn't there, but he's getting a little bit better at first base. He's not a a total liability. He's not a liability over there as much as he has been. Um, what has gotten? Has it just been health, Teddy, or what in your mind has gotten the Gators trending back toward the top of this? When I talked to Sully last week it was health. That was his
2: answer. And it's a huge factor. You know, they were without Austin Laneworthy for a while. Dalton Guthrie was playing banged up. They were without Jonathan India. They're still without Mike Rivera. I mean, those are some pretty significant pieces to subtract from a lineup. This is true. Um, I, so that's a huge part of it, but I also think part of it is just that, uh, you know, Florida plays some young kids and they have to make adjustments and they were struggling to make adjustments early on. Uh, but now that they have a lot of at bats under their belt, uh, you know they've made some adjustments. They've gotten some experience. They understand what they're doing a little bit better, and they're out there producing. And the thing all along was that Florida doesn't need to score ten runs a game. They don't need right. to be that kind of offense. They just need to give their pitchers a little bit of help, and they'll they'll be good enough. And I, so I think
1: part of its health, part of it is just some some younger players growing up. It feels like the guys who've stepped forward for them the most. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, like uh, Nelson Maldonado – He's hitting over 400 SEC play. I mean, he started it a lot as a freshman for them last year. He was an everyday guy. A good steady hitter, but he wasn't really a force. He's become a force. I mean, he's on base over 500. This guy's just controlled. this. When I watch Florida, he always seems like he's getting a hit. And then uh, the other key for them, I guess, has been, and you wrote about this last week, just Michael Byrne just kind of locking down the bullpen. They just seem that they're, 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 you know, their question marks are more guys getting healthy they've answered all their other question marks. The other Where they had holes, they filled those holes. The only holes they had left were basically whether Dalton Guthrie was going to be able to throw or not, or whether J.J. Schwartz was going to be an asset or a liability. I mean, like, really, outside of getting um, you know, Rivera healthy, which they've been good behind the plate. I can't pronounce the guy's name. Mike Colasavari. Mike Colasavari, which, what's his name? Hudson corrects me every time I pronounce it, so <laughs> I didn't want to say it. They wanted to come in here and interrupt us and pronounce his name correctly. It's Hura. No, this is a different player. Um, but. They seem like they've answered their own questions within their roster. I mean, like, Mike, it feels like that's the same thing that Kentucky's done for most of this year. I mean, like, this is a really good matchup. I know Kentucky has been – it feels like Kentucky, for the most part, has had a better resume than Florida. It feels like Florida has caught up and yeah. uh, is playing its best baseball. I'm not sure. Do you think Kentucky – you've been Kentucky's advocate in our meetings. <laughs> is Kentucky playing its best baseball at this time of year now?
0: You know, uh, I, I think they're I, – I think they may be slow – I mean – a little bit of a sigh there, a little bit of a pause. I'm pulling up their schedule now. I mean, the week before, uh, you know, losing a series to Georgia. Obviously, Georgia's hot right now. But that wasn't that wasn't great for them. I think they rebounded nicely against Tennessee. But I don't think they're off to the – they're in the, at the really hot pace that they were at the beginning of this year um, after the sweep at North Carolina, of course. They, but, they
1: still feel like offensively, they're probably the most explosive team in the SEC. They're, like yeah. they're the team most likely to put up – A a crooked number
0: I mean I think it's ridiculous
1: how often they score double digits
0: yeah no I mean I think you look at you look at their stats and they have let's see one two three four five six seven guys hitting above 300 in their lineup and you know they do have some power they do have some speed they do have a lot of ways that they can beat you and then on top of that they have a starting rotation that's been pretty solid this year for the most part They've, they've had some hiccups along the way as well but they have guys with stuff and right. guys, that if they're on, they can dominate a team. So, and then you know they do have some velocity in the back end of the bullpen as well. But certainly, from an offensive standpoint, I think that's their strength. They're just a really tough lineup to pitch to.
1: It just it just it feels like you know to me every, when I'm when I'm reading their press releases, it's a different guy. Whether it's uh, is it Mayhan or Mann? Man, Mahan. Mayhan, yeah, well, Riley Mayhan or uh, Evan White or Tristan Pompey. It feels like a lot of times it's been Tristan Pompey. But I mean, he's, like,
0: he's had a really nice year. But Evan White too. I mean. He's he's batting close to four hundred at this point. I mean, he's you know there, there's a reason why he's a you know a top you know draft prospect or their top draft prospect. So Do we
1: still have any questions about their rotation? Either you guys, I mean, like I know that was an area of concern coming into the year. It certainly hasn't been. I wouldn't say it's the strength of their team, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's been a weakness either.
2: No, the fact that uh, Sean Hagelli has. Uh, been much better in SEC play. Getting Jelly going was has been key for them because it gives them a, a true Friday guy. Uh, my biggest concern for them is their defense. They're fielding, they're up to 972 now, which is an increase over the last couple weeks, but it cost them against Georgia. It cost them the, the Georgia series, their right. defense did. And it's not a great fielding team. They're not what Florida is defensively. Most teams aren't, but like that is, that's a concern for me is that they aren't a great team defensively, and it's a team that doesn't have postseason experience. And the two of those factors together are an issue for me once they get into the tournament. They're doing great right now. Maybe maybe I'm overdoing the lack of experience piece of this, but I do feel like that that might come up and, and be potentially problematic at some point during the, the NCAA tournament.
1: Well, I love those two series. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Who are you picking to win this Florida-Kentucky series, Teddy? Florida. That's a surprise. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> who are you picking to win this uh, this series? Um, am I'm I'm I going to be surprised or two?
0: I'm going to take Kentucky just to be contrarian. Uh, and I'm, also, Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky has had success against Florida, generally not at Florida, at Kentucky. But I don't know. I just have that, that good feeling about Kentucky this weekend. I'm going to go with that. But we'll see.
1: Uh, how about the uh, Mississippi State, the, the Canizaro Bowl, 2017, LSU versus uh, Mississippi yeah, State? We, today. we talked
2: about like the on-field implications, but this is also the first meeting between Andy Canizaro and Paul Mineri since Andy uh, left at the end of fall ball to to take over at, at Hale State. Um, this one's a little tougher. I feel like LSU is the better team. Actually, no, I know LSU is the better team. I feel like
1: Mississippi State has been the least predictable team this At, year. Because yes. every time you start to, oh, they're too banged up on the mound, we can't count on this team, they go and they win, and then you're like, oh, well, they're, too, they're so offensively explosive, you can't, and nobody's going to, you know, what was it this weekend? Uh, I thought I heard on one of the SEC broadcasts yesterday, Chris Burke talking about how Scott Strickland just walked Brent Rooker with first and second nobody out and just walked him. I mean, like, <laughs> he didn't want any part of the Rooker show.
2: No. Um, I don't blame him. I, uh, as much as I, I think LSU has more talent and they should win the series, I also am not going to pick against this Mississippi State team in a series that, you know, they have a lot of, like, there's a strong incentive for them to win. It, it means an awful lot. They're at home. Uh, they play really well in Starkville. I, logically, I don't think I should do this, but I'll go with the Bulldogs.
1: Uh, I do have a Twitter question wrapping up this section from Kyle Costigan, who asked, who's our surprise first-round selection this year? Um, I'll just keep saying the same thing I always say. Uh, College bats move up draft boards more than you think. And my huckleberry for this is Drew Ellis. And, Mike, you saw him this weekend. You could wrap this ACC and SEC portion of the program by talking about just how cute Drew Ellis was this weekend because that guy (laughs) is really cute. That guy can really – (laughs) <laughs> really hit. I know I mentioned him earlier. I mean, like, why would that guy not be a first round pick if you're looking for a college hitter? He's athletic enough to play third base, first base when McKay pitches, and he can play left field if you need him. Yeah. And what does this guy not do offensively? No, These I fouls. mean, off-
0: offensively, I, I mean, he got a hit every time he was up. At, at one point, they even shifted their infield, had three infielders on the left side of the infield, and he hit it through it. <laughs> it, you know it, it That's right, that it you matter. tweeted that video. I, I, tweeted, I tweeted a video of that uh you know he just has really really quick hands a really quick bat and just I you know talking to him after the game uh you know he's someone who his, his first year at Louisville just because we you know we talked about the depth at Louisville he was someone who didn't play he was behind Tiberi on the depth chart it's amazing and he was he was redshirted and that was he, he told me that was the best thing that's ever happened to him because he came in feeling like he was a stud. You know, he's a guy who he played in a Little League World Series in 2008. He threw, he's the only person in Little League World Series history to throw no-hitter and lose. Wow. Drew Ellis. So, so, that's a deep cut. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, fun fact. But, um, so he's, he's... Not so fun for Drew Ellis. Not, not so fun for him. But he's, so he's been in the spotlight before. Um, he's, he's, you know, dealt with that before. And so it was tough for him coming in and, and being redshirted right away. It, it humbled him, and he's learned from that. And he's worked. He's worked obviously very hard on his conditioning and his mental approach. He credited guys like Sutton Whiting and Zach Lucas. And, <laughs> your, and
1: those, your boy Sutton guys. Whiting. Yeah. Do you have a Sutton Whiting poster back there?
0: Somewhere? I do. I do. I'm so glad brain. that
2: you worked in the swag into into this answer about Drew Ellis. <laughs> yeah. No. It's.
0: Uh, Is he
1: known for his swag? Well no uh son
0: why didn't Absolutely. So he credited those guys for his mental approach and he's you know he's added some weight throughout the years too. He's he's buffed up. So vibe but it, it sounds, <laughs> this sounds sounds better than it's mine. It's good weight. It's good weight. <laughs> Um, you guys so, aren't supposed to laugh so hard. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, no, he's he's the real deal. He can really hit. And it's fun, too. You know, one of the fun parts of this Louisville team is him, Colby Fitch, and Brennan McKay have this competition among themselves as far as who can hit the most home runs. Hmm. And uh, right now, Brennan McKay and Drew Ellis are tied at 15, but Colby Fitch is coming for him with three this weekend. Right. So. They they all have a lot of fun with that.
1: Drew Ellis tied for sixth in the country in in total bases, one behind Jake Berger. And that's just my question to scouts. I keep on asking, what is the difference between Jake Berger and Drew Ellis? I'm not knocking Jake Berger, but just Jake Berger's been coming came into the year as a potential first round pick. Um, You know, college national team, all this. Drew Ellis seems like he's very similar player. Might be a little bit better athlete. You know, I never hear about Jake Berger playing left field, uh, running well enough to play the outfield. Uh, Berger's probably got a better arm. But tool for tool, these guys sound really similar. So that's my that's my surprise, uh, Huckleberry, there. Um, I want to kind of pivot off Teddy's uh, off the bat for the rest of the podcast um, for a couple reasons. Teddy, first of all, you, you update 8 for Omaha every week. Um, that was one that I wanted to touch base with um No significant changes, or I guess there were no changes in the field this week. Which of these teams, between Florida, Long Beach State, Louisville, Mississippi State, Carolina, Oregon State, TCU, and Texas Tech, is the most vulnerable? Would that be Mississippi State? Just because they're in danger of not hosting, maybe, if they have a rough next couple of weeks? Well, Mississippi State has been
2: vulnerable since they got in. Since I first put them in, because I, I kept them out for a really long time, just because they're so banged up. Like, how? at some point, the depth has to become an issue. You do love you. do just love to scrap has to. That. But, yeah, it, it, it became, eventually, it was like, well, what do, what do they have to do? Like, they keep winning. It doesn't matter how many injuries they have. They
1: just win, like, every single day.
2: And so they are probably the most vulnerable here. I don't think it super matters whether they host or a national seed or whatever. Like, I, I believe in the belief in that team. Um, but the... I mean, they can't sustain really any more injuries at this point. Um, Brett Rooker can only carry them so far huh. on his own. He's going to carry them pretty far. Yeah, he's uh, pretty outstanding. After that, TCU, I it's they're still really incredibly strong. But Luke and Baker got injured this weekend. Could call. And Luke and Baker is, sounds like he's going to be out for a little while. They don't know the full extent of the injury yet. They're going to find that out later today.
1: I saw but, those pictures of him in the uh, in, you know, with the left arm basically immobilized in the dugout. It does not
2: look good. And they have the depth and experience to overcome this injury, but he is still one of the best players in college baseball, and you take that guy out of any lineup, and it's going to be worse. And I just
1: feel like Luke and Baker at this point is almost kind of like, uh, it's almost like he's the dude in uh, the night, the black night in Monty Python, where it's like yes. first the right arm, he's like, oh, it's just a flesh wound. I'll just go ahead and hit. I won't pitch anymore. Now it's a left arm. You can't really do anything just hopping around with no arms. So um, that's kind of where Luke and Baker is right now. Not the hopping around with no arms part, but, <laughs> but both arms, both wings have been clipped. It's not easy. Yeah, and
2: you know they also didn't pitch particularly well this weekend at Oklahoma. They gave up like 24, 25 runs in the three-game series. So they've got some things to work out here. Um, I, I still believe in their ability and their talent, but um, th- it's not – what they were coming into the season when they were the preseason number one and everything, uh, that's not quite where they're at right now without Jared Janzak, who should be back soon and without
1: Luke and Baker, who we don't know about. Baker's a pretty big uh, matzo ball hanging out there for sure. The Big 12 has a couple other uh, big items hanging out. You wrote about Oklahoma, that big series win. They're in the top 20 in RPI. They're turning toward maybe being a regional host. Uh, obviously a couple of weeks going on here but to, to determine that. But Baylor guys – Baylor's back. Three straight weekends on the road. Uh, they lose a series at TCU. Okay. That's ba- a good series loss. They won a game there. They didn't get swept. Um, I think they outscored them for that series. Then they win a series at Kansas. They don't sweep it, but they still get a road series win. Kansas is above 500. That's always good for your RPI. And they go and sweep Oklahoma State guys. Suddenly, Ar- uh, Baylor's back in the top 15 in RPI. So they started great. Had a little kind of. Uh, Regress to the mean, to use a pro ball term. Uh, what do you guys make of of Baylor? How legit is Baylor? And does Baylor's uh, return to being uh, on the positive side of the ledger? You mix them in with West Virginia. Is this a five bid league now? Is this a six bid league with Texas hovering around five hundred in the league with a top twenty five RPI? how do you guys see the big 12 shaping up the last regular season week uh, mike you can go ahead
0: well the thing i'd say about baylor is uh i mean their rpi is held pretty steady for the most part it's, it's been around the 15 right. or so range it's just the the results of of late after the hot start they got off to haven't really matched up with that all that well and now we're starting to see the results with that match up a little bit more now we see them above 500 in the big 12 and you know certainly with you know the number 13 rpi and a winning record in the Big Twelve. I mean, they're and they're in fourth place in the Big Twelve right now. The number one RPI conference. I mean, that's a tournament team. They, you know, they, we've they've had, beaten
1: every team above them or the same record in in a series. And the right. teams below them, they've taken care of business. Basically, that's a host potentially.
2: Yeah. Not not only is that a lock tournament team, they're looking at hosting. They play Kansas State this weekend. If they win that last series, last place team in the league. Yeah, yeah. If they win that series. They're going to have a very nice league record like you mentioned number one rpi league like yeah they're definitely back in that mix
1: and the whole league is in the top 100 in rpi which yeah. is you know when your last place team is over 500 good things happen because this is a cumulative process when they're talking about rpi if they're like they're the big 12 is like the opposite of the big west this year where they are two good teams and everybody else is crap i mean it's yeah unfortunate for the big west but that's how the rpi perceives their league
0: yeah, no the the Big Twelve is is deep this year. It's it's really deep, and I mean we've had it's like a Louisville lineup. Yeah, we've had yeah. I mean we've had six Big Twelve bids in our field of sixty four, and I, you know I don't see any reason why. I mean especially I mean the, you're looking at you know of those teams the lowest RPI there is. Tech, I mean Texas is nine eleven right now in conference. It'd be nice if they could could correct that. But so we're looking at four hosts, three
2: hosts, four hosts. I'm gonna say seven bids, four hosts. Seventh bid being Kansas. Is, Kansas is going to do this. Kansas is that's at upset. Fifty-eight city. now. They're not in yet, but I'm going to say Kansas gets in. They're fifty-eight now. Lay it out. Why break eleven it down. and ten in the league? Okay. They finish at Texas Tech, so the RPI is only going to get helped if they can just win one game this weekend. Just win one game. They're twelve and twelve in the league. That RPI is going to go up if you beat Texas Tech on the road. I I really think it happens. Kansas is playing really well and. You know, Texas closes uh, the, the season this weekend, and, and they do need a nice showing, but I think what they have is, is good enough. Uh, they get West Virginia at home, um, you know, so they, it, it sh- if they can win this series, they can probably go to Oklahoma City without needing to do much of anything, but even if, even if they took a series loss... I think they can still you know do enough in Oklahoma City to to make up for the fact that they're going to be under 500 in the league at that point.
1: A two and two week would behoove the uh, Jayhawks. It would seem win that midweek at Creighton, uh, which is a bad RPI, so you don't want to lose. Yeah, that that, that might game. even be a
2: must-win.
1: And then you know, don't get swept. Find a way to win a game at uh, out at uh, what's it called again? Dan Love Law. Yeah, but oh, Rip Griffin. Rip Griffin Park at Dan, Dan Law Field or Rip Griffin Park, yes. and that's what it is. So um yeah i like that i, I like the long named ballparks and they they're none of them as as good as mississippi state's what uh polk dement field at duty noble no Noble noble stadium or polk dement field, whatever there are four names on it polk dement duty noble so um four people who are honored there i, I i'm a fan of uh, uh of the overly named uh college baseball uh parks uh that that league I mean, I know we saw them being good this year. We didn't see them being seven bids good, did we? No, definitely not. I didn't... Like, every
2: every team in the league has gotten better, uh, with the exception of Oklahoma State. Um, right. Who went to Omaha last year and now is probably going to miss the tournament, barring <laughs> bar a strong close, uh, which probably includes winning the Big 12 tournament. Oklahoma State looking like they're on the outside. Uh, but everyone else is better, and it, it's really impressive to see what what this league has
1: been able to accomplish. I guess Oklahoma State gets the sad trombone, right? I mean, like, it's not the ham horn, but they get the...
0: Yeah. It's not as they, good, Mike. I'm sorry. They, I didn't set it up like you do. No, it's a it's Did okay. we press the panic button on them last week? Uh, Maybe not last week. I know we have recently. We have? Okay. It's, it's For great. Oklahoma State? Yeah. It's, it's, I just wanted to make sure we have Yeah, it. it's progressed beyond panic at this point, though, I, I would say. Um yeah, I mean the thing is, is we thought the Big 12 would be strong. One of the reasons we thought they're going to be strong is we thought Oklahoma State would be good coming into this year. Even though with what they lost from last year's Omaha team, they still had a lot of talent on that roster. Still thought they'd be able to pitch this year with what they had coming back, and it just hasn't just hasn't worked out. They just they've had moments, they've had times during the season where it's like, okay, here's Oklahoma State, they're going to make their run now, but they just haven't been able to put it all together and win at a consistent pace, but even with them struggling this year, I mean, that speaks to how deep and how strong the conference is, because even with them in eighth place, I mean, you still might have seven bids, potentially. I mean, it's it's certainly a, a well-rounded conference from top to bottom, and, you know, it, it's something it's, they've kind of been building toward this the last couple of years, and especially now with, with Texas back in, you know, with what David Pierce has done there, like, back in a contending position I mean it only makes the conference stronger and you know I you know it's going to be strong again next year too uh, you gotta have your flagship so, you gotta have your yeah.
1: flagship programs be yeah. good that makes it about easier to have a good year as a league it, it does and
2: Oklahoma is a part of that as well but also the flagships in the Big 12 are changing potentially you know TCU and Texas Tech those might be your flagships now. TCU's been—they've made five Omaha trips between right. them in the last three years. Like that is crazy. Maybe those are your flagships. Maybe it's not Oklahoma and Texas anymore. Maybe maybe we need to adjust to the fact that uh, those are the the conference powerhouses. They I might not be. I, I mean, would, we'll see.
1: But. I understand what you're saying. To me, like there's still inherent advantages to being Texas. That oh, TCU no doubt. and Texas Tech will never have. That's why. But like, but to shift to the Pac-12, like. Can you call Southern Cal and Arizona State flagship programs when Arizona State hasn't won a national title in 36 years? And, uh, frankly, I've seen some articles about Arizona State. Oh, nothing to see here. It's fine. Don't panic. Arizona State should panic. Their fans should panic. I know that everybody has transitions. This has been an ugly one under Tracy Smith. And then USC has been in transition for 12 years. So USC hasn't won a national title in 19 years. They'll go to regionals once. They aren't going this year. They'll have one regional trip since they got rid of Mike Gillespie. That was like 12 years ago. Um, and Arizona State is an afterthought. It's, you got to press the panic button on from a program standpoint, not a team standpoint. That's a, that's a, uh, a league where the flagships, I do think, have changed I don't know who the flagship program is of the Pac-12 anymore. Oregon but do, State. They've won five. They didn't go to regionals last year. That's fine. They should have. They've won
2: right. five conference titles in the last 13 years, and no one has won more conference titles than them since the Pac-12 scrapped the division format in 99. Right. That's your flagship. Two national titles, and you can probably throw Arizona into this and
1: UCLA and Stanford. They're, they're probably all right there but you want a flagship, it's Oregon State. I guess that's my point is I don't think there is like, it, by definition, to me a flagship is a little bit more dominant than that and they're there every year and they're always part of the mix. Like Florida State is at the ACC and Miami. Those are, and Louisville has made itself, but still it's three years. I'm thinking of you know, where basically the, the dads think, of the dad of the recruit when they think of the Pac-12 thinks of USC and Arizona State. Well I don't even know if they think of Arizona State anymore. You know, Barry Bonze walking through that 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 big league door. He hasn't played in the big leagues in ten years, and Dustin is getting old. Who's gonna carry the banner for Arizona State in Pro Bowl? Mike Leek? I mean, I like Mike Leak, but the come difficulty on. I guess time the longer these flagships are at the bottom of the league, the worse it is for you know, for those leagues. The difficulty is that I think a
2: lot of times we we think of flagships also in terms of broader athletic department stuff, particularly in the Big that's, Twelve, where we're talking true. about Texas football, and Oklahoma yes. and what they do in football. And USC still has that going for it. USC is that, but they need for the Pac-12 to be perceived at properly or as as one of the better teams. It's difficult to think of as Oregon State as a flagship because. Baseball is what they do. They don't play football particularly well. Basketball basketball is atrocious. Um, Gary Payton is is (laughs)
1: upset with you right now, (laughs) as is probably his son.
2: Um, So the Pac-12 needs USC because that is the school that people associate with it. And when they're in last place, like they are now at 19 and 27, that is a problem. And so UCLA and Stanford can be that way because they play these other sports so well but Oregon State really it's going to be difficult for people to ever think of them as the Pac-12 flagship because the only sport that's the case in is this
1: one yeah that's a good point also I'm older and people like me think of flagship programs more often I understand that's part of it is my demographic and uh, I'm not sure how important that is we see that in college basketball it doesn't really feel like it's that important even winning isn't that important in recruiting anymore it's going to the league um Feels like in baseball, winning matters a little bit more. Getting to Omaha matters if you're going to play college baseball at all. Um, UCLA has done that certainly, but they haven't done it since 2013. So it's, it's harder to have a, you know, I guess Oregon State's done 2014 college Series, but before that, had they been since 2007? I don't think they had not. So um, I think they're reestablishing themselves at this, as this flagship. This team has a decent amount of juniors, but the everyday lineup is a lot of sophomores and freshmen. So. Um, uh, so, to me, I, I, on the Pac-12 tip, uh, real, a couple quick hits, and then we'll, I'll go around some other leagues and we'll wrap up. Did UCLA – how significantly did UCLA damage its at-large chances losing to Wazoo this weekend? Which, let's give some kudos to Wazoo. Beat UCLA two out of three this weekend. Won the series against Oregon last weekend. Won a series the prior weekend at Utah. Uh, won the series against Washington. Wazoo has won four straight conference series. Kudos to Wazoo. First time since 1995. That's impressive.
2: It that's, is. That's and almost they, like the Bobo
1: Brayton era, maybe.
2: They pulled themselves out of the cellar. Uh, and, you know, it, it definitely has been an impressive month for, for the Cougars. As yeah. for UCLA... This is what Marty Leach was hired to do. Yes, He's, absolutely. knows
1: that program and knows that part of the country. And he and Dan Spencer kind of like this Pacific Northwest tag team that's gone out there and done a great job so far. At Wazoo, so um, credit to those guys. As for UCLA,
2: they did not do themselves any favors this weekend. Uh, their RPI is down to fifty nine. Feels
1: like them in Utah this weekend, loser. It's like it's like they're in the Thunderdome. Uh, like two teams enter, one team leaves. I think what it, what it really did
2: was the Bruins have no more margin for error because they're down to just two games over five hundred overall. They're down to four games over five hundred in the league. Um, their RPI is. Probably too bad right now, but it will improve if they win games. But they are—they need to win against Utah, and then they need to go to Oregon and win.
1: It feels like they need to go four and two in those two conference series. You know, you go eighteen and twelve in the league. Uh, it feels like it would be hard to leave a Pac-12 team that's in the top sixteen RPI and that's eighteen and twelve in the league out. Stanford, uh, you know, Mike. I, I, forgive me, I, I can't find your most recent sixty-four team field. Did you guys have Stanford in the national seed? And as a national season, Stanford just keeps winning with, uh, oh, gosh, what's the Friday guy's name? He's like 82-83. Chris Bubik? No, he throws hard. Uh, it's, the, it's the other guy. It's the senior left-hander. Oh, Castellanos. Castellanos. Keeps on getting strikeouts, throwing like 82-83, like change up, just slot balling. He's like Tim Cunningham reincarnate. Uh, all the old Stanford fans will remember Tim Cunningham. But this is this is not how it was scripted out for Stanford, and yeah. yet they're still doing it. Uh, are they a national seed, potentially?
0: I I mean I think they're in the picture. I mean we didn't we didn't have them as a national seed, but obviously the the way that they're playing at this point and where their RPI is standing right now and you know, they hate if, Cal. <laughs> they hate they, Cal. Yeah, because we had, I mean, we had Clemson as our number eight national seed in this last field of 64. And well, that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, so the way they've been trending, obviously, uh, it's its not a, a good look for them as far as for a national seat. So certainly Stanford is going to be in the conversation. We haven't plotted out the field of 64 yet, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But if they beat
1: Washington and Wazoo the next two series, I have a hard time thinking that that team, say they are 19-10 and 10 in the league. Be hard to not have that team as a national seed, wouldn't it? They've got a very good schedule.
2: I think they're it right now, and yeah, you just finish it out. I think they, uh, I think they do it. You know, they've got a lot of things going for them. They have twenty-five top one hundred wins. They have thirteen wins on the road. They played an ambitious schedule. They won against it. You know, it's it's impressive.
1: All right, uh, some some because again because I'm old and I like to talk about flagship programs. Let's talk about some of the ones that are on the bubble. we talked about a lot this year. Florida State lost this weekend to the Demon Deeks um florida state is 28th in the rpi but they're just 33 and 20 overall they're under 500 they're underwater in the acc mm-hmm. only one weekend left for that is florida state in or out you know mike you go first on this one. florida state in you think when it's all said and done are they going to be in the 64 team field I, I mean now but
0: like will they be in i, I think they'll find a way I still think they'll find a way, and well, they got to go to Louisville this weekend. Yeah, that's that ain't easy. That that ain't easy. No, I mean they are. They that's are, less
1: easy than pimping.
0: Yeah, <laughs> their resume is similar to South Carolina in in a lot of ways, and that the RPI is around the same area. And and you look at what they've done in the ACC. This that's year. not a good comp. You don't no, want to get comp not. this year to South it's, Carolina. It's not. It's not. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. They don't really have. A big series, they have a, a series win against Clemson is, is their biggest series win, and that's a good one, but other than that, they don't really have that much to hang their hat they're, on. They're
1: starting pitching, you know, like, Holden's been quite good most of the year, but he Cole Sands really sand started out great. Cole Sands has hit the skids. Um, I don't know if he can skid with sand. I don't know if that's possible. I thought that sand was supposed to give you a little more grip, but, um, you know, moving Drew Carlton to the bullpen helped, but, I mean, they don't get a lot of leads to protect, I feel like Florida State's trending out. If they get swept by Louisville, twelve and seventeen in the ACC, you better go to Louisville and make serious noise in the conference tournament. That's—I'm a little scared for Florida State. I have
2: been very optimistic all season long. That optimism is gone.
1: Yeah, they got—you got to win home series. They didn't you, do that against Wake Forest or with, Virginia. With the way
2: Louisville is playing right now, you don't want to go to Louisville needing to win. And if they win one game, they're thirteen and sixteen. They have. At that point, their RPI would very much improve, I'm sure, because you beat the number three team on the road. But if you get swept, they're probably done. Like at that point, they probably have to go win the ACC tournament. That so, would not be beautiful. If they go win one game in Louisville, I'll say they're fine because at that point you're 13 and 16 in. You're at 34 league.
1: and 22 overall, which is un like. It, it very much is, but they definitely can't afford a sweep here. Miami and Rice, Rice is 60 in the uh, RPI currently, Miami is 61. Uh, Miami felt like it's been, it's, 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 both these teams feel like they have trended in the right direction after mm-hmm. brutal starts. They're still under 500. I mean, let's start with Rice, I guess, guys. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about mm-hmm. how, I mean, you, Teddy, you saw these guys, you, t- you talked to Coach Graham for a while. They're just fourteen and thirteen in Conference USA. That's not good enough, is it? If they go win these final four games,
2: they play Texas State midweek, then they finish at UAB.
1: So their RPI is going to take
2: a hit this week. There are nothing positive is going to happen to their RPI this week, but they can get to five hundred. And if they can get to five hundred going into the conference tournament, and they'd be eighteen and thirteen in the league. Their RPI is fairly robust for five hundred. It absolutely is. They are going to have work to do in Hattiesburg. But I don't think if they can win these four games this week, I don't think they're in a position where they would have to win the conference USA tournament. They would have to go on a run, they like and they have to be very something. they have to be very careful because they couldn't fall under five hundred again. Right. But they are in a position where they could plausibly play themselves in. I mean, you just look it's at, not going to be easy.
1: I just look at the conference standings, Mike, and the and conference USA, which I think we're, we've been saying consistently, the three bid league, right? Southern Miss, Old Dominion, yeah. Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. They've played 25 games against RPA Top 50 teams. The rest of that league, no one's over 14. Yeah. I mean, so it does feel like if they can get to 500 and finish over 500, they have a shot in that large bid, don't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say they have a shot. I mean, they, they have had a ridiculously tough schedule this year, and that's certainly something that's, well, probably the biggest factor for why they struggled. Right in non-conference play, overscheduled it's just, it's just, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, it's just they're they're difficult just. The, Which Coach Graham play.
2: admitted when I was talking with him. Right.
0: Yeah. So, if they can finish strong and 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 do you know have a good showing in the conference tournament, certainly I think there's a window for them. But uh, again, like some of these other teams, it's such a thin margin for error with them. At, you know, they. It's they a thin do. line
1: between love and hate. I believe that's a, uh <laughs> believe that's a Pretender song, right? I think it was a cover, but.
0: Uh, i I cannot I cannot weigh in on that uh, I, do not, I do not know <laughs> I know Chrissy Hine's sang that, it as far as that goes but yeah you know I, I do think uh, you know for the Owls at this point they just need yeah. to win 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 no matter what
1: I believe the Persuaders are the ones who sang that song initially mm-hmm. but the per, so it wasn't the Pretenders it was the Persuaders but I, I'm pretty sure I've heard a Chrissy Hine version of that song I'll play it here if you want but I think we have rights issues
0: Yeah, probably shouldn't play it let's not get sued by it how about the U
1: is the U in or out they've got Virginia Tech at home this weekend the Hokies Uh. trending in the wrong direction Um, but Miami (laughs) uh, so Miami can get over 500 they have four games left they're two games under 500 they're one game under they have a D2 win that you're not seeing okay would um, so would uh, say they sweep Virginia Tech that's not easily done sweeps are hard they don't sweep teams in ACC play. They didn't sweep Bethune Cookman at home. They didn't sweep Boston College, but they did win at BC. Um, would 16 and 13, if they sweep the series, 16 and 13 in the ACC, but barely over 500, would that get them in Teddy at large? I mean, Miami doesn't have great stuff on its resume, but their resume is starting to look better than Florida State's. So the problem with Miami
2: is that. Like Rice, they're flirting with 500. They are a game under 500. They have some 500. They have four games left I this see week. You. So if you say they only go three and one, then you're looking at 28 and 27 going to Louisville, and you gotta you're gonna have to win a couple games. They they have pool play, which maybe is a little more forgiving than double elimination because you don't necessarily have to take two losses without winning the conference tournament. But right. if they get to 15 wins in the ACC that's good but i just don't know where their rpi is at right now it's on the wrong side of 60 and playing virginia tech is not going to be helpful to that no going to the acc tournament will be but i don't know where it's going to end up they're going to have work to do regardless but this series obviously is a must win this weekend uh they play golf coast midweek three and one this week is probably a must do and then go to the acc tournament and not fall on your face. and like That might those, be enough. Feels like
1: out of those three teams, Miami has the best shot, the clearest path, the schedule lines sweep. up the best for them. Because if they could sweep uh, Virginia Tech, maybe go one and two in the ACC tournament, something like that, or one and one and not advance with the crazy ass pool play. I, I don't under I don't remember
2: what the format even looks
1: like anymore. So yes, but like.
2: Just make sure you don't fall under five hundred. Don't lose to a team right. you shouldn't be losing to there as
1: well. Correct, correct. Okay, other teams that you, you heard about, you guys wrote about on the weekend preview. and You've mentioned this a couple times, Teddy. The Sun Belt seems like it's it has played to form. Three bids, four bids, Mike. I don't know. You, you can start on this one too. I mean, like feels like South Alabama is in or mm-hmm. most likely in. Coastal and Louisville, uh, Louisiana Lafayette certainly look like they are. Uh, strong at-large bid choices. UT Arlington's—you know—they're the really tough one because they're winning the Western uh, Division in that league, but their RPI is closer to 100 than <laughs> than you want it to be. Uh, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you guys take on, on these teams uh, in the Sun Belt? And are, are any of these South Alabama, Coastal, Lafayette, uh, Omaha threats? Uh,
0: well, you know, I do think Coastal sweeping. Arlington this, this weekend was was very big for them. They needed something like that. You know, they've kind of been straddling the line a little bit. They've been a bubble team, and, and that certainly was, was very helpful, and they'll have another RPI opportunity midweek against Clemson, going to Clemson, so that that will certainly help them as well um, if they're able to do some damage there. So uh, I don't know that I would necessarily say if they get in that they're in Omaha threat necessarily but then again I didn't think that last year and we right. saw what happened so um, they have some swagger they do They do have some swagger it's just you know obviously they've had to kind of rebuild this year with everything that they lost from an offensive standpoint but you know certainly uh, you know they've, they've done well to, to get that sweep this weekend and to improve their case you know uh, Texas Arlington is, is an interesting case like you said because they're number 90 in the RPI right now uh, you know I re- I really don't know. I mean for them I think it's you know they have to try to get the automatic bid. I mean I I just Which you know, which they know yeah. they have to do. I talked yeah. with
2: with coach Darren Thomas last week and they they know that. They're they're auto bid or nothing. I think yeah. it's a two bid league right now. We'd had it as three or as one for most of the season. I think we had it as three coming into the year. Um I still could be three. Both uh, Coastal and Louisiana Lafayette did important work this weekend. I think right now I'd say South Alabama is safe and Coastal is bubble in, and I'll say Louisiana Lafayette is bubble out, but I might feel differently when I look at that later. Yeah, more Lafayette's closely.
1: top 50 record is a lot more robust it than Coastal's. It is. Coastal's. Uh, but
2: their league record right. is worse. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Th- those two teams are definitely on the bubble, like right on the edge. One of them's probably going to be last four in, and one of them's probably going to be last four out. I feel better about Coastal's chances. Like, I feel better about Coastal's team. And were they to get into the tournament, I'm not ruling Omaha out. I mean, Cunningham and Beckwith, if they can get Beckwith, like, on form, he's been iffy at times, but if they get him on form, like... Why not? That
1: that team can do some things offensively. Billy Cook is multi-dimensional. He's really, really good. He's really
2: fun to watch. And Kevin Woodall's jacking home runs all over the place. He's in the top ten nationally in home runs.
1: He's strikeoutable. I will say that. He's pitchable. He has some holes. But you do not want to make a mistake to that giant of a man. He is huge. And (laughs) he's fun to watch take BP. I'll tell you, that that was one of the more fun batting practices I've seen this year was Coastal coming to Chapel Hill. And he put on a shoe, a really big shoe. Um, Finally, last but not least, because we're over an hour and – this is what happens when I get involved. Uh, Big Ten, the Big Ten is all over the place. I, mean, I don't know how you make tens or tails of this league. How is the committee going to separate out between these these team these this, this league? This feels like it could be a two or three bid league. feels like it could be a five bid league. feels like it could be more than that. I don't think you could get six. I don't know how you get to six, but I wouldn't take Iowa or Minnesota necessarily, but. Teddy, what do you do with this league? I I think I could, like, craft you a scenario for six. It would be very unlikely,
2: and it requires Iowa to win the tournament. But, so, Minnesota this weekend. You betcha. It was bad that they lost that series to Long Beach for their at-large chances. But they have five Big Ten games left because they're making up uh, two games against Rutgers that they got... That canceled because Rutgers couldn't get to Minnesota earlier this year, so they're going to play a double header on Tuesday. So they actually have five games left here. They're playing a double header Tuesday against Rutgers. It's a league series. It is. It's, That's so weird. It's so strange. Yeah. Um, but if they, so if they were to sweep that double header, they would actually move into first place going into the uh, final weekend of the year. They would pass Nebraska in the standings. Right now, Nebraska is winning the Big Ten, and assuming that Minnesota doesn't sweep that. They'll go into the, or if Minnesota doesn't, they'll go into the the final weekend in first place, playing last place Penn State um, in great position to win their first ever Big Ten title. Um, they do that. It's not going to be helpful to their RPI, but last year Minnesota's RPI wasn't great. They won the Big Ten regular season. They got in as a two seed. So right. Nebraska will be fine if they win the Big Ten. Um, Michigan looks fine uh, as long as they don't mess anything up this weekend. Um Maryland looks fine. They're playing high point this weekend. Their Big Ten season is done. Uh, They can't afford anything bad to happen at high point. So we'll see some Maryland this weekend. We will see some Maryland. So they should be good. Those three look good. Indiana could stand to use it. Minnesota or, or Maryland and Indiana. Maryland, because it's already done, if things shake out not in their favor this weekend, they could end up in like sixth place in the league, which would be bad. Uh, And that's where Indiana is right now, and they really need to improve that position a little bit, I think. But do that, and and they could be fine. But this whole league is—the top six teams are within a couple games of each other. So a lot of things could go strange this weekend, and none
1: of them play each other. So they all could just pile up wins. Last but not least, we have a uh, Twitter question. I think you answered my Big Ten question. Mike, you don't have anything to add to the Big Ten, do
0: you? Uh, No, I I never have anything to add on the Big Ten.
1: What does the last question, Justin Cook, big NC State fan, what does NC State have to do to get into regionals? It's another team that took a big step forward this weekend by sweeping Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. So NC State had not won a lot of SC, uh, uh, They not won a lot of uh, series at all this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, they've swept their last two uh, ACC series. They're now fourth in the Atlantic. They're above five hundred in the league. Uh, they're forty in the RPI. Feels like as long as they don't get swept at home by Clemson, yeah, feels like NC State will be a regional team. What do you What do you think about that? I mean,
0: that's exactly what I was going to say. I think as, as long as they win one against Clemson, I think they're. They're good. I mean, obviously it would be nice to get a win or two in the ACC tournament if they can, but I think given, you know, a win against Clemson this weekend would put them, would give them 15 wins in conference play. They're at 40 right now in RPI. A win would only help that RPI. So, yeah, I think they're a regional team as long as they win one.
1: I mean, Teddy, I felt like they were kind of dead in the water virtually when they got swept at Boston College, but they've they've bounced back. I mean, granted, it's Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh – but they took care of business and swept those two teams. I mean, their backs were against the wall, and they
2: did what they needed to do at, at that point. And I, I think that is kind of what NC State has done for the last few years. You, know, you put <laughs> yeah. their backs against the wall, and, and they find a way to, to, to win. Um, you know, they, might not, to f- they might not win the regional with their back against the yeah. wall, but they will get to a point <laughs> where, they, uh, where they, you know, they, they
1: make these runs. And uh, I feel yeah. like State's a dangerous three seed right now that they win the Clemson series. All of a sudden, they're, they're playing their, their way to a two seed. I mean, like 16 and 14 in the league and a RPI around 30-ish. They could be a two seed, which was unforeseen three weeks ago. Yeah, basically. I mean,
2: they've been out of the tournament in our field of 64 the last few weeks. I, that's going to change this week.
1: So, great stuff. We have a lot of questions. Uh, I appreciate our re- readers and listeners for those. Uh, I have to go fix Mike's vo- vocals you were, you were low in my mix, Mike. I'm sorry oh, my bad. I should have had you say unique New York a few more times. And I think he, <laughs> I think you threw it off with a ham horn, so that might have uh-huh. been part of the problem. So um, but we'll fix the levels in post and we'll remind you that Louisville Slugger sponsors all of our baseball America college uh, baseball coverage. Uh, there's power in numbers with Louisville Slugger. follow them on Twitter and on social media at Slugger Nation. So for Ted Cahill and Mike Ln, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for listening to this Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now
1: at hero.co.